this is, wow, it's a really special day. Doug just came up to me and said, Cara, it's all of your things today. It's, it's all the things I love. It's my, it's worship and with all of you and these stu students who just steal my heart every time and this team that I got to lead. Um, what a privilege. Thank you for letting me serve our church. Um, and really, this morning, I'm just going to kind of pour out my guts to you about the things I love the most, and you are what I love the most. And I hope that at the end of what I have to share with you, that you are compelled to love this church. And as we love each other as a church, it makes like going out there and loving our neighbors so easy. Um, so much easier. It just like flows and it happens. Um, a few weeks ago, Pastor Charlie spoke about loving God and he got into First John a little bit and I heard that. And you know how sometimes they t the pastor tells you to read a scripture and you read it, but then you stop listening because you're like reading? And you're like, oh, this is really good. That's what happened. So I didn't hear anything that day afterwards. But... <laughs> I'm sure it was really good, but it encouraged me to start reading through 1 John because what I saw there is just a really simple explanation of the gospel, what it looks like, how it feels, just so easy. It's God and it's us loving each other. And then the next week, Pastor Doug talked about how we have to love ourselves, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Okay, so you have to love yourself and be taking care of yourself so you're empowered to love other people. So I would like to, to take the liberty of doing Love People 2.0 today and talk about us in this room as the Orchard Church family, and if you're visiting, we'll include you today, um, how we can love each other and really love across generations, love from the smallest kid to the oldest person, I won't ask who you are, but, and everybody in between, just do a really good job of loving each other. Um, my heart just really beats for community, and I'd like to share some of that with you this morning. So let me read to you. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. And John writes, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, he loved us a lot, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word this morning, and I ask that you'd speak through me. Um, and just help us to receive the truth that you have for us this morning. Open your word to us. Amen. 
Uh, so this text, we're not going to stay in this text a very long time. This is our launching place. Um, but this text was written by the disciple Jesus loved, right? John. It's the same guy. And he was writing to churches in the province of Asia. And this letter was just kind of passed around. Hey, this is important things that all of you need to know. So it got circulated throughout all the churches. And I'm just going to break down the sections as I see them, as we read that. So we have verse 7 and 8 that gives us our identity. If you love, you're a child of God. So that comes up. And then there's the part that God does. He enters the scene. God showed how much he loved us by sending his son. And we have verse 9 through 10, which basically gives us the gospel. This is how we know what love is. Christ died. That's the gospel. So when I say love this morning, that's what I'm referring to. We're talking gospel. This is the full deal. And then verses 11 and 12, it's about us. And this is about our part, how the world depends on us to be an expression of the gospel to them. And a couple words to pull out. There's the word love. We see that a whole bunch of times, and it's the word agape every single time. Agape, if you've been in church, that's the kind of love that is unconditional. God loved us that way, and we get to love each other that way. It's the love that looks out for the good of others. And then another word that I want to pull out is in verse 12, where my Bible says full expression. Yours may say complete and they're both right. That word means fulfillment, completion. It can mean fulfillment as in a prophecy that was fulfilled. So I like to think, when I read this, if that is true, if we are the full expression that God knew at the beginning of time when he created the world and had this whole grand plan started and the story started to unfold, that he had us in mind to be part of bringing that story about, which I think is really amazing. Um, but our main word this morning, love is important. The word that, as I was reading, really popped out to me was the use of the word us. We. Each other. It's not singular. It's all about us. It's, I counted in my version, it says 12 times. There's this plural, not, like, pr plural pronoun used all the time. And I think when that happens, we have to stop and notice it. We have to stop and look at that and ask why. And what does that mean for us? So our first point this morning is called All By My Selfie. Because we live in a culture that is all about the selfies and the self. And it's not about the we and the us. It's a huge, huge difference. Um, I was looking at like the top 40 songs and a few of the song titles I'm the one, the beeps, you know. I'm in love with the shape of you. It ain't me. That's what I like. And so on and so forth. You get the idea. I'm not going to sing any of those songs for you. I don't <laughs> think they're appropriate. But <laughs> our culture is, we're obsessed with ourselves. Like, I, the funniest thing I ever saw, and I hope it's okay to say this in church. We're going to talk about hell for a second. But it was a quote that said, hell is covered in wallpaper of all the selfies you deleted. <laughs> it's like, oh, that'd be pretty bad. So don't go there. It's just not good. Um, so here's how, if we were to read this text the way our culture would read it, this is how it would sound. I'm going to start at verse 9. God showed how much he loved me by sending his one and only son into the world so I might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that I loved God, but that he loved me and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away my sins. 
That's true, right? It doesn't, it doesn't feel too wrong. But then if we go on to verse 11, dear friends, since God loved, we actually wouldn't be, dear self, since God loved me that much, I surely ought to love, I don't even know who. No one else has ever seen God, but if I love God, you get the point? There's an us and a we that's required for the full expression of the gospel. If I'm expressing to the, the gospel to myself, then I don't know what I'm actually doing. I don't know what I'm expressing. So this morning, I'd like to call you into us. You're going to get tired of that word, and that is okay. But we're, we are just called into this thing, this project of expressing the gospel together. And that's what I want to call you into. So the first thing you have to do is get over yourself. <laughs> um, thanks, Sonny. <laughs> we have to get over ourselves. Um, and I think there are three really key relationships to the us that we're talking about this morning. There's obviously, there's God. So that, we're not counting him. That's just a given, okay? Um, so they're the relationships with the people that walk with you. They're in the same stage, similar phase of life. And those relationships are good. I also think two other really key relationships are the relationships you have with the people who are following you, that you're leading, and the people that are leading you. So you need someone with you, you need someone ahead of you, you need someone who's following after you. And that's how I think we do us as a church. And um, I just want to say um, that doing us is challenging. That's, if you're taking notes, that is kind of the first big point. Um, the challenge of us is that we're all different, right? You, you don't have to look too far around the room to see that we're different ages, different social statuses, different um, you know, we have different careers. We do different things throughout the week. We are very different people. So it can be very easy for us to, to identify in the room. They look like me. I think uh, they just had a kid and I did too, so we can be friends and you can be my friend because we like some of the same things. We attract ourselves, our, we're attracted to those people who are walking the same way as us. And that is good. And we need those people. I need my girls so I can just be like, that guy's dumb. And they're like, yeah, he is. And then we go on with life, and it's good. And <laughs> I'm just being honest. It was just a good application, okay? However, what happens if this is the only relationship that you have going on? If you're only doing us this way, you're actually creating exclusion because there's all those other people out there. There's all those other people who are wiser than you or who maybe you are wiser than and you have something to share with. So in our church, I would like us to aim for a community that is familial, a family context. Because in family, what do you have? you have? You have grandma and grandpa, and they're the fun ones, and they're wise. We really like grandma and grandpa. And then we have mom and dad who are a little more practical. They bring, you know, the punishments into the scene. They provide for you. You need mom and dad. And then you have your brothers and sisters for annoyance and for fun and for camaraderie and for competition even, those people who push you. And I would like to say that in the family of God, it works pretty much the same way. There's a reason that God uses the picture of family to describe his people. The family is connected. So when you make that shift from not being a follower of Jesus to following Jesus, you get adopted. You get to become fully part of this family. And some other images he uses, or he, God, 
um, are like the body. The body is so connected. Like if my hand couldn't be any more connected to me than it is right now, and neither could my foot, and neither could yours. You're connected to yourself completely. God uses that imagery on purpose because when you become part of the family of God, it's not just this collective of things like all thrown into a bag. It's complete and whole, and we all have a place in the family tree. So, I would like to say that, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just like lacking sleep, and I need more coffee in my life, always. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, starting with people who are different and getting over the difficulty of the fact that people are different is so important, and it's going to change the way that we do church here. So I want to encourage us to not just love the people who are in the similar life stages as us, but I want us to love across generations. Um, so we have the roles of the family, and um, Daniel's not here, so I'm going to talk about this. Don't tell him. Um, if I were in charge of growth groups, I would take the middle school growth groups on Thursday and the high school ones on Wednesday, and I would put them all in your growth groups. Whoa. But no, it would happen amazingness would happen because we all have something to teach each other. Um, each one of you is significant to the spiritual well-being of someone else in this room who isn't like you. You need that person that you can pour into, and I need that person that I can, that can pour into me. We all just like are so connected in there together. Um, together, we fully express this gospel that we read about. So I want to challenge you to lead. Realize that you have something to contribute, even if you are, do we have any middle schoolers in here today? Where are they? I saw Blake earlier. I don't know where he went. Um, so if you're a middle schooler, if you're a kid, you're a middle schooler. Okay. There are people that can follow you. There are people that you can lead. If you're in high school, there are people who are looking up to you that you can lead. And Psalm 71:18 says, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. So I always read that as like you're already old and gray and you're praying this prayer. And this is a continuation. It's not just when I get to that point, then hopefully I pass some things down. It's right now. You have generations coming up behind you and you have someone that you can lead and that you can pour into. Um, because I am the youth pastor, I have to take a moment to talk about our students because they're really important. Um, I don't know if you know this, developmentally, when a you know, growing up in your home, your kids look to their parents as the source of all the things they need, their food, their social, like you are the main provider. But what happens when that kid gets to be 10, 11, 12 years old, they start looking elsewhere for influences. They want to be informed by people outside of their family as far as what they're supposed to do, what they're supposed to think about themselves and others. And as parents, you're probably like, what? And you're really offended by that, sorry. But that's a really good thing because that is when all of us should step in. That's when we get to step up. Um, the Fuller Youth Institute has done all these studies to see what is it that keeps a young person in church. Not just in church, but what helps them to hold on to their faith through college 
and beyond. And what they discovered is the most common thing that helps those students is having five adults in their life that they know love them, who are not their parents. Five adults. And that doesn't necessarily mean five mentors. It could be, it could be a youth leader who sees them on Thursday nights. It could be someone who went on a missions trip with them and on Sunday they just get a high five and they know that person sees me and I'm important to them. It could be any number of things, but five relationships, that is what does the trick. And that sounds like a lot, but I think there are a lot of you and we could do it. I think it would be amazing. Because um, intergenerational relationships are really the key to the spiritual well-being of our kids. And I think for us too who aren't kids, or maybe we act like kids, but we aren't kids anymore. We need those intergenerational relationships. JC is one of my best friends, because we went to Bolivia together, and we hung out, and everyone has a hug quota, and I think JC fills like 90% of mine, and she's not even my kid. We're just friends, and that's how we roll, and it's really good. Um, so a few things I've learned <laughs> doing student ministry this might be freaking some of you out because you're like, oh, students, they smell. They do, but we love them, and they're so great. And um, so I just want to bring some of the humanity into it for you, okay? So we're going to start with the bad. So something I learned when I started as the youth pastor was I really needed UrbanDictionary.com because I was homeschooled, and I didn't want to say something wrong in front of 45 kids who's like, okay, good, that's not a dirty joke, I can say that, this one, we'll just leave that. So, that's something, Urban Dictionary is my friend. Second thing I learned, when you're speaking in front of said group of 45 students and someone lets one rip, you just leave it and you start praying because it's over and that's no more. If you serve pretzels for snacks at middle school, they will end up in every room of the church and I don't even know how. <laughs> Where's Nancy? I'm so sorry. She will testify. Preach. Um, something else that I've learned from our young people is that God is fun. He really is fun. He loves it when we laugh. He loves it when we're happy and silly and covered in shaving cream. He loves that stuff. Something I've learned is that the first step to building trust is remembering someone's name. And that applies to anybody, not just kids. Yeah. And then the last thing, and this is the most important thing, and if you catch anything, catch this, is that spending time with a kid is never, ever, ever a waste. Even if it's five minutes on a Sunday or less than that, it's never a waste of your time. They need these relationships. Um, one of the heartbreaks that we deal with in ministry, I think especially in student ministry, because we see so many kids come through, is... You know, you see kids come through, and you see some make good choices, and they keep following Jesus. And then you see some, they kind of come through, and then they leave. And you don't know what happens. And then you read about them in the paper, and they hurt someone. And I just wonder what would have happened in that kid's story if they had had those five relationships. If there were dads who weren't really their dad, but they were being their dad, like Papa Jay, in their life, just doing life with them and caring about them. I just am so convinced that they need us and we need them. I just, man, 
I think that's the takeaway this morning. Just love the kids. They need us. They need us so bad. Um, is it awkward, high schoolers, that I'm talking about you in front of you? It's true. We need each other. I need you guys. So, so we need to lead people because we have something to share. And the other thing is that we need to be led. We need others to be leading us. That fully expresses the gospel. Um, I was in college, and they, I went to a Bible college. And I knew, because I was a church kid, I knew you're supposed to have a mentor. And so I decided, like, okay, I'm going to go to Bible college. I'm going to get a really cool Greek professor to be my mentor. I'm like, how did I think cool and Greek professor go in the same sentence? I don't know. But I, that's what I was thinking. And so I go to college, and they have this program where you, you get matched up. The girls get matched up with women, faculty, and staff. And I signed up, I filled out my little form, and I turned it in. I'm so excited for my Greek scholar. And so we go to matchup day, and I'm looking around the room, I'm like, oh, I hope it's her. I really hope it's not her because she looks weird. And so I got the weird lady. <laughs> and I'm laughing at me too because I just like didn't know what to do. So we went, we had our initial like coffee and talk, and I was like, this is just as weird as I thought it was going to be. They put us together because we both play the violin, and we had nothing else in common. She was a Presbyterian. I did not know what to do with that. I was like, what is liturgy? I don't know. So, so she kept pursuing me, though, because she had something to give to me. And over the years, we kept meeting and going for coffee and for lunch, which you really appreciate when you're totally broke. And we built a relationship, and she showed me things I never would have experienced. She took me to the opera. Like, who goes to the opera when they're in college? That was so cool. And the end of the story is I landed my first, like, grown-up job because of her. I ended up working for her in the legal department at our college when I was a senior. And then she hooked me up with this law firm. So after I graduated, I went to work like a big girl. And it was all because of this woman who, if I had passed over and just dismissed her because of what I saw and the differences I saw, I would have missed out on all of that. And the thing that I took away is that when you judge people, you miss out. It's like, oh, it's true. So I was really blessed by that relationship and by my friendship with her. And I think there really is a blessing in the difference. Um, yeah, Matthew 19, 29. There's a blessing in us, and the blessing of us is that people are different. Um, in Matthew 29, Jesus says, everyone who's given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. So when I read that and I hear there's going to be a blessing 100 times, I can tell you in my life what that is. It's all of you, and it's the Christian community and the family and the us that has come around me. And I'd like to suggest that for you, that's the same story. Some of you have families that truly you had to leave behind when you decided to follow Jesus. You had to make that break. And some of you have families that really do love Jesus, and they get to be part of this us that we're doing. But 
If we start loving across generations in our church and seeing people who aren't used to being seen by you, I think that's where the real blessing comes through, the fun that comes with the young ones and the wisdom and fun that comes with the older ones who have something to pass along. I think that's where the blessing is, and it is a hundredfold, and you'll always be discovering more and more and more. Um, I do want to encourage you uh, that different, I know different can be scary, or and if you're in a place where you're like, I really feel like I have something to give to the younger people in this church, but I don't know how to relate to them. I want to tell you that like being cool is the least of any of our worries. Like when I'm looking for someone to be a mom in my life, I'm not looking for the coolest person anymore. I'm, lo- I'm looking for that person who will see me and listen to me and love me. That's all I care about. When a middle schooler is looking for that, like they do not care if you're cool because you know what? Five seconds ago, they got a Snapchat for someone who is way cooler than you and you can't compete with cool. But, and I'm serious, that wasn't supposed to be funny. You cannot compete with what the world has to offer if you're trying to be cool and, and relevant in that way. The way you can compete is being the person who actually loves them. Ah, I don't know how to express that anymore. But if you can be the person who sees, you walk in this room and you think, I, you know what, I have my people. I know what my people look like, but I need to learn how to see the rest of the people in this room, that will mean the world to them and it will change the course of their life. Because when a kid is loved, then they don't have to go make crazy decisions because they know that they're loved and they will live from that place and you can be a part of that. Um, So you saw the demonstration of family that happened when we went on the Bolivia trip. And I just have to tell you that that blessed me so much. People ask like, how was the trip? I was like, it was the best ever. Why? Because everyone did family. Everyone bought into this us. They bought into that, and they did it, and there was sacrifice, and there was true unconditional love for each person on that team across the generations. It wasn't just the teenagers hanging out with the teenagers. It wasn't just the adults, but it was a sharing and a mix all the time, and I think that is where the beauty come from, comes from. It's the beauty of us doing life together, and that is where the gospel, I just saw the gospel, and you know, Raleigh, who got baptized on Easter Sunday, went on that trip not knowing what he thought about Jesus, and then after spending 10 days with the the 10 of us, he knew exactly what he thought about Jesus, because he saw it. He saw the full expression of the gospel. The full expression of the gospel is us loving each other, Your problems become my problems, and your joys become my joys, and we get to share in all that together. Um, It can be easy to hear a message like this and think, I'm an introvert, so this does not apply to me because people are terrifying. But it's a message for everyone. There's somewhere that all of us can move to do us a little bit better. it's a call for all of us. So I'd like you to imagine a church where everyone matters, and you know everyone matters because everyone is seen, and we are mixing and doing relationship across our age groups. Um, if you could do one thing, I want you to think about it, the one thing that you could do 
to change up the, the culture in our church where we're loving each other, we're loving people who are different than us in age and stage, what would that thing be? What would it look like for you as an introvert, as an extrovert? What would it look like for you to take a step towards someone else, to invite them into us, invite them into your circle? I think if we all did our one thing, it would be incredible, and our church would look a lot different. And the most beautiful thing that happens is when the gospel is being expressed here, like I said before, then it will naturally be expressed when we go out into the world to love God, we're doing it, and love people, we're doing it. We're already doing it, so we don't even have to try. If we just keep doing what we're doing in here, it will, it will transfer out there. Um, so some ideas for things, if you are just wondering what is the thing that I could do to change the culture here, um, it might be today you look around and you notice someone who you don't know or who is unfamiliar to you, but you're not going to say hi this week. Next week you say hi because you're being really brave and that's awesome. Maybe for you it looks like when you're eating a meal with your family out there, invite someone to sit with you. I can tell you, like, as someone, I don't have, I, I have the best family ever. But I don't have my own family. So when a family says, hey, come be a part of us, I'm like, heck yeah, I want to do that. And it makes me feel so loved. And I get so much from that. Maybe it looks like going on a missions trip and experiencing really close family for 10 days with people you don't know and having that transfer from I don't know you to I really need you. I need what you have in my life. I need you to lead me. I need to lead you. We need each other. Um, so just look around you and think about what those things might be. Um, and the last thing that I want to suggest is for each person in, their, in this room, there's hurt and there's pain and there are things that you're going through. And there's joy. Um, maybe you need healing. But there's someone else in the room who might be your answer. They might be the answer to your loneliness. You might be the community that they've been waiting for. You might be the agent of healing that they've been waiting for in their life. But it's going to take someone making a move and taking the first step. So make yourself available to that. Because um, you're important to our church's expression of the gospel. We're going to share our communion table this morning. And Mandy's actually going to lead our communion prayer. But I'm going to have our Bolivia team and some helpers come up and get the communion plates. And we're going to pass them around. And I would like you to grab your, your cup and your cracker and hold on to it. And then Mandy will lead us into communion. And as you wait to get your, your communion, I just ask you to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, how can I do us better? How can I do us better? Because when we do us, we're doing the full expression of the gospel. So we'll play a song while this gets passed around.